0: You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Dr. Lynn. Hellerstein she is a developmental optometrist and pioneer in vision therapy who has authored four books including the award-winning book See It Say It Do It and the number 1 Amazon best-selling book Expand Your Vision. For more than 40 years, Dr. Lynn has utilized vision therapy with children and adults with learning-related vision problems, vision perception deficits, or brain injuries, as well as enhancing visual performance for athletes. She has inspired thousands of people to improve their vision and enhance their lives. An international speaker, Dr. Lynn has circled the globe as she has delivered her electrifying presentations and workshops for parents, educators, therapists, athletes, optometrists, and other physicians. She has published extensively on vision-related topics and is a faculty member at several optometry schools. She serves as a consultant to schools and rehabilitation facilities. So welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you today, Erin. Now, I'm just so fascinated by what you do. You are an optometrist by trade, but as we were kind of talking before we started recording, you don't necessarily deal with vision in a physical what we see with our own eyes, but it's more than that. It's what we see on the inside. So can you explain just how you got started and in, in doing what you're doing? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I have what's a doctor of
1: optometry degree. And for more than 40 years, I have practiced as an optometrist prescribing glasses, glass, uh, looking for eye health problems, um, Fitting contact lenses, the traditional things that optometrists do. And optometrists are the number one server for eye care in the US. But very early on, even before optometry school, I had my own visual problems. You know, that's how we often get into things that are, are of interest to us. And, um, you know, I knew how to read, I wanted to read, I was motivated to read, had books to read, but reading put me to sleep. I mean, five or 10 minutes. My eyelids drooped down and I was sound asleep. And so I went through almost eight years of college trying to avoid reading. I mean, in eight years college, you can imagine what my worst subject was, what I dreaded the most. You know, it was English Lit 101. I just couldn't imagine why you'd expect me to read all those books. And so I've always had this this real mystery, curiosity as to how come I can see 2020, yet when I try to use my eyes for something like reading, I fall asleep. And so I got involved in the field called vision therapy, which is a sm- small specialty within op- general optometry. And that is where I started meeting patients of kids with learning problems and adult with brain injuries and strokes and athletes who wanted to perform better. And so, for more than forty years in practice, I treated those kinds of patients with great results. And just you know, through this time, I I did a lot of research. I wrote books, um, and now I'm really interested on looking at vision, not only the physical sense, like you said, 20/20, nearsighted, farsighted, but much more interested on looking at the vision
0: on the inside. That's awesome. That is so interesting. Okay, so vision therapy. What, what is what would you say vision therapy is? You mentioned that, and that might we might want to have a kind of a bigger explanation for that to understand.
1: Surely. Uh, vision therapy is somewhat like a physical therapy, a speech therapy, occupational therapy, but it really involves a visual system. And in vision therapy, we can help people learn how to track their eyes better, focus. Often people have double vision. Where they have words or letters that wiggle and move. And we, we're really teaching the brain how to be much more efficient in the visual system. Um, we'll even get involved with eye-hand coordination, mm. which not only is for you know young kids who are very clumsy and don't write well, but can go all the way to working with major league athletes to see the ball faster, be more accurate in eye-hand speed. And so vision therapy is, not only remedial, but enhancement for musicians, athletes, and many other folks.
0: Wow. That, that is so, I didn't even know. I mean, it makes sense, but that's just never a lane that I've gone into myself and it's never anything we've talked about on this podcast. So I'm, I, I think that's so interesting. I love, I already love where this conversation is going. So, so tell me um, how can a person have 2020 eyesight but still have vision problems and still need support?
1: That's like the number one question that we get over and over again from a, the doctors, from the nurses, from the parents. 2020 just means that you can see a letter that's about an inch tall at 20 feet. You can actually have double vision and pass your school screening. 2020 mm-hmm. with one eye, 2020 with the other eye. So it's an important measurement to see how near or far sighted you are but there's over 17 skills you need, for example, to be efficient in school or work. And visual acuity is only one of them. However, most people will say, oh, I have perfect vision, I have 20-20, and don't even realize there's all these other kinds of visual skills that contribute to being successful and productive.
0: So when you're talking about even young children, you know, because my kids get their eyes, my oldest has, she's probably pretty close to being legally blind, um, just does not have great vision. My other two have perfect, probably 20, 20 vision or whatever is better than twenty twenty perfect. But you're saying that there are still things that kids, as they get into school, they can struggle with, whether it's reading or is this like other learning disabilities that keep them from being able to process information that they see? How does that play out in a, in a young child? Really. Um, And those
1: of you who have young kids, you can try this. You can take a little fun toy and just move that toy left and right up and down in front of their eyes. And parents do that all the time with their infants. They'll use just their face and move back and forth. What you're doing is already screening to see if they have smooth eyed movements that are accurate. Then you can have them look from object to object, like one thumb to another thumb. And can they look accurately and stay focused and fixated? Well, that's the foundation of the skill you need to read. Reading is a series of what we call fixations and saccades. Jump, get the information, jump, get the information. And then you can actually take that little target and move it closer to their nose it's called the near point of convergence. Can they actually turn their eyes inward and converge? Mm. And you'd be surprised at the number of people and young kids that out at 10, 12, 14 inches, they can't converge, which leads them into double vision, headaches, closing an eye. So those are just three, you know, of the other 17 skills we're talking about. There's depth perception, there's eye mind body, eye, brain, body coordination for handwriting. So what parents see is often the kiddo passes their screening. And if they're struggling in school, they say, oh, it can't be their eyes. They see perfect. Mm -hmm, Right. But there's all these unknown visual processing problems that it's really a brain problem. It's really not an eye problem. It's it's the processing in the brain of visual information and integrating that information with other motor skills, other sensory skills, and you know making it all work. That's where there's break breakdowns. And the sad part, Erin, is that schools will screen for auditory problems, they'll screen uh, for motor problems, and they don't do very much screening on vision, which is your number one number one sense. For processing information. Yeah. 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 So just do that 2020 chart and off and that's it. Wow.
0: Yeah. This is all such great information. Now, Dr. Lynn, I want to take a second. This is a great time to thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. My sleep number is 40 and my average sleep IQ score for the month of June was 86. That is my highest sleep IQ score ever. I've noticed throughout the last year as I've been using my sleep number bed and being more intentional about my sleep routine, my sleep has been improving steadily to where now I am sleeping better than ever. So why choose proven quality sleep from sleep number? Because picnics, water skiing, baseball games, and summer festivals are even better with a great night's sleep. Sleep IQ data shows sleepers who use their 360 smart bed technology get almost 30 minutes more rest sleep per night. That's up to 170 hours per year. The longer days of summer can make it more challenging to get the seven to nine hours of sleep that experts recommend. In fact, Sleep IQ data shows that June is actually the month where sleepers get the least amount of sleep. Keeping your circadian rhythm in sync can help you get the quality sleep you need to get the most enjoyment out of summer. So here are a few ideas for improving your sleep during the summer months. For me, my very favorite thing to do is first thing in the morning, get some morning sunlight. And while I'm getting my morning sunlight, I like to take just a short walk around my neighborhood. I feel like it gives me a lot more energy throughout the day, and I definitely sleep better at night. You can also stick to a regular wake-up time and bedtime as much as possible. Limit your exposure to light in the evenings to help you wind down. Use a sound machine and blackout curtains, or if you're like me, you use an eye mask because that is so helpful for me and even my kids too. Stay cool. The hot, humid nights can make it really hard to sleep, so you want to make sure that you can cool your room as best as you can. 64 to 68 degrees is actually the ideal sleep temperature if you did not know that. I love my Sleep Number bed and I love the restful sleep that I am getting every single night. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because every great day starts the night before. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local sleep number store or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. That's sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Okay, so we are talking about perfect vision and it's a lot more than just 2020, right? So how does this impact kids with adhd anxiety we know that so many kids are struggling with adhd right now how does how does our vision impact that
1: yes um first of all adhd uh there are there is a few studies that are beginning to show that kids with adhd have a higher incidence of convergence problems oh wow right huh. and it doesn't mean it's cause and effect necessarily, but there are many patients that we've treated that parents have already been to their pediatrician or somebody's already identified them as ADHD. And when we've finished with vision therapy, teaching them how to focus and use their eyes and coordinate, we've had some patients that their doctors take them off their medications. Now, I can't promise that that happens all the time, but when we do our testing, I'll say to our parents, gee he's having problems focus, And the parents say, well, yeah, he has a focusing problem, ADHD. And I'll say, that may be, but I'm also measuring the physical focus called accommodation. He can't even focus his stay on the page, which fuels that ADHD issue. So, you know, anytime you have, well, any kid, even if they don't have special needs, they should always have a full um, comprehensive vision examination by an eye doctor, the screening just isn't enough. And then if they have special needs, you really should be looking for what we call the developmental optometrist, who will go beyond the routine eye exam and do a lot more visual processing testing.
0: Okay. Wow. Now I'm going to ask you a crazy question that is not on our list of topics, but it just comes out of my own. Something that I experienced growing up is I had strabismus. I had which lazy eye, I guess, is the... Not technical term, where when I would turn my eyes to the right, my left eye would go up instead of over. And I did, I didn't have focus problems as a child. I loved to read, always loved to read and could read for hours and hours and hours. But I did have plenty of mental health issues that were beginning to develop at an early age. Um, is there a connection to Even just the, because I know it was a muscle thing. They ended up I got surgery and is all fine. But I always had double vision when I would look a certain way, and I still kind of tilt my head to one side. That comes from that. So what's the connection there? Yeah, great question. And I didn't even mention vision
1: therapy for strabismus and amblyopia. Strabismus is like a crossed or lazy eye, and amblyopia is where you don't see well out of the eye even if you get glasses.
0: Mm.
1: Often you have both together, strabismus and amblyopia, or one or the other. Um, People get the terms confused and intermingled. That's a really interesting question because a lot of people think, well, you have a cross side just do surgery. And surgery may help straighten the eyes, but it doesn't mean it corrects how you use both eyes together.
0: And you still could
1: end up with double vision, you could still end up with what we call suppression, blocking the image of an eye. And it reminds me of a story in my book, See It, Say It, Do It. And it's a story about a little, uh, I believe he was about seven years old. And he had strabismus. He was very farsighted and had lazy eye amblyopia. So he had three eye muscle surgeries by the age of seven. Wow. And By the time I saw him, his eyes were pretty straight, but he wasn't tracking well. His eye hand coordination was terrible. He could hardly write, but his ophthalmologist said, hey, you're good, we've cured your problem. And the parents are like, he won't go to school. He hates school, he won't read, now what? So he was referred to me by a teacher and when we evaluated him, he had all these other visual issues tracking, the depth perception wasn't there, focusing wasn't there, I had terrible eye hand coordination, uh, visual memory problems, just a whole slew of issues. So we couldn't totally cure the strabismus. I mean, three surgeries got him close, but you don't no. usually cure it, but we really could improve all these other skills. When we were done with therapy, his handwriting, and I have samples in my book to see the handwriting so scribbled. And then when he's done, you ought to see the change in handwriting, even though we really didn't work on the handwriting per se, we worked on the foundation of eye-hand coordination for writing. At the end, his handwriting was great. The kid loved to read now. He was also a kiddo who hadn't been identified yet as being gifted. And nobody really looked at him seriously because he couldn't read and write well. Once we really gave him the skills to visually process, he was identified as being gifted, was reading in advance. And what he said, this is a seven-year-old, he says to me, my rider in me was squished and now it's gotten bigger. Wow. And so his whole mental attitude shifted when the world looked different to him. Now, I don't want to lead, lead you or your listeners to believe that you take care of vision problems, you cure mental health. Right. right? <laughs> I wish I had that magic pill to do that. However, anytime somebody is struggling for whatever reason, it could be certainly family situation it could be because you're not doing well in school. It could be you're a clumsy kid and everybody makes fun of you. So there's millions of reasons that could be your trigger. If you find a solution to help for that child be more successful, you'll often get changes in behavior and emotions. Yeah, yeah. And we have many cases documented with that, with parent checklists, et cetera. and, and this is where the visualization comes in is, you know, I remember having a little second grader sitting in my exam chair and I said, so how are you doing? And she says, Oh, good. And she's bubbly, having a great time. I said, how's reading coming along? And she just burst into tears. Now we had her in therapy. She was really doing better in tracking, but when she had to read, the image she had of herself reading was little, stupid, all the kids laughing because I asked her, what happens when you read? And she explained what was going on in her mind. I feel so stupid. And you could see her body scrunch up and you can see how small she became. So I said, hold on, hold on here. Let's just take a break because once somebody goes into a, whether you call it a tantrum, an anxiety phase, I'm not the one who labels it, but once they're in that kind of a, a process, talking rationally, doesn't usually work. We have to find a way to hey, let's calm that hijacked brain down. Then we can address the issue and you're the expert in that area, which I'd love to hear more on. But what I did was let's let's just take a second and tell me what's something you really like to do. So I just diverted her attention and and she stops crying right away and says, "Oh, I love to swim." I said, can we pretend that you and I go swimming together? Would that be okay? She says, oh yeah. So we pretend we jump in. We use the body to actually feel like we're jumping in. We're swimming around. And I said, hey, I have a present, catch this. She puts her hands out and I pretend to throw her some. She goes, what is that? And I said, it's a magic book that's waterproof. Watch it, dunk it in the water. So she's pretending to dunk it. She says to me, is it okay if I open it? Now, this is a kid who wouldn't open a book and avoided it, said, well, if you want to. Mm-hmm. So she opened it and we played like we're reading. And when we were done, her home therapy was before she has to read to her mom, to her teacher, to her tutor, she has to go swimming in her mind,
0: oh.
1: have fun, get her place and read from being in the swimming pool where she's totally supported. She feels great. And now she can open a book and read.
0: Wow. Oh, I love that. That is so, so this is where that vision from within <laughs> comes into play, right. the visualization. So I, yeah, I'd love to hear right. a little bit more about what got you so interested in visualization and, and how, in and other ways that that plays a role in, in what you do. First of all, it's a great
1: thing to bring up because people think they can control their lives. And the only thing they really can control are their thoughts and their pictures. Hmm. Okay, so um, how did I get involved in visualization? Uh, Way back when I started vision therapy, some of the teachers that I was working with wanted classes on visual perception, visual processing. I didn't know much about that. I went to the literature. There was actually some written in optometry. At the time, I'm going, that's not part of my field. That's psychology. So I ignored it for a long time. Well, of course, when things happen to me personally, all of a sudden, I start looking into that area again. What happened was in uh, 2002, I was diagnosed with a tumor in my colon Mm -hmm. and ended up having surgery, becoming allergic to all foods, couldn't Mm -hmm. eat, couldn't digest, all of these things. Uh, I was blessed, and I'm grateful. The surgery was successful to remove the tumor, but when I started healing, I couldn't eat. I lost total confidence. I, I felt like my patients who have brain injuries. I couldn't think. I couldn't drive. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, and I asked my doctor, "Did when you operated on my gut, did you slip and kind of hit my brain, because it affected my thinking so much?" And way back 20 years ago we didn't realize the impact the gut has on the brain and all. Nope. Right. And that's, I'm sure something you're very uh, interested in aware of, but way back then I found a book about the gut, the second brain Hmm. and started learning how my emotions and all were tied with my gut problems. So during that time I was looking for help. I was, I was pretty much on the couch. I wasn't working for weeks, months. And as I and you probably know when you put things out to the universe, you never know what shows up. Mm-hmm. And what showed up for me was this little ad in our newspaper. When we had newspapers, we used to read. <laughs> I do do <morning>. remember those. <laughs> okay. And it was wanted pa- patients for IBS, irritable bowel mm-hmm. syndrome study, which I had. And I thought that's weird because there's really not medications. Most of those studies are for like depression or, or menopause or, you know using certain types of medications so i signed up and it was a doctoral uh candidate she was getting her thesis on using visualization as a treatment for um, a health condition she used ibs a chronic health condition so i got involved in that study and i was amazed we had these cds that's back in the cd days where we would listen to these great meditations and then do a quality of life survey. And it was profound how it affected me and helped me. So when I was done, I decided, because I tried to meditate and I was bored. I was too busy. Mm -hmm. My mind was wandering, but I was so interested. I decided I wanted to study with whoever made the CDs that we listened to. So I go to our best resource, Google, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and found out it was, a person called Dr. Deb Sandella, whom I later found out was a patient at my office and my daughter was teaching her daughter dance. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's how the universe just starts. That's a sign. (laughs) Anyways, I, I started working with her. She was starting her work on what's called RIM, releasing inner memories. And she was working with Jack Canfield. She writes some of his meditations for him. And so it totally empowered me in the work she was doing, I became trained in RIM and certified. But what it was, it resonated so much to me because it was my vision work that I'd done at that time, 20 years inside and all the terminology and language and procedures were so similar to what I was doing in my routine vision therapy. It just really resonated and connected on working with vision inside. And that's when I started to bring it into the practice more and utilize it more and
0: more. That is so interesting. I, I mean, I have so many things that I, I keep saying that I, oh, that's interesting. That's fascinating, but truly there are so many directions that I could go there. Uh, I mean, the gut brain connection. Yeah. At 20, it's really in the last five years that we've learned the majority about that. And so 20 years, that was just having a study That connected visualization anything mental mindfulness any of that connected to supporting ibs and supporting what's going on digestively that is groundbreaking so what year was that study that you took part in uh
1: my surgery was in 2002 so it must have been right around three or four it's available if you'd like to read it um and what was interesting is when I got so interested in nutrition, and that's why I'm really interested in your program as well, because back then having gluten sensitivity, you, you were either diagnosed with celiac or mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. And even then they didn't diagnose celiac very often. And so I, I really was on this whole mystery tour of how to heal my gut.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's when I got involved in alternative medicine And I'd been working with alternative practitioners over 20 years that now we have tests. I show such high gluten sensitivity on the tests. Back then, you know, I wasn't celiac, although I had all the signs and symptoms. Yeah. And therefore, people thought I was making it up.
0: Hmm. And so
1: the whole process of these last 20 years of looking at holistic health, that's how I see my vision practice is really kind of the holistic aspect of vision.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because we, I mean, everything is so interconnected. And we talk about that on, on this show so much, but even something uh, something that you wouldn't think, like vision and how you see the world, how is that connected to what's going on in your brain and what's going on in your gut? But it is, and I think all, we also talk about the vagus nerve when we're talking about that gut brain connection. Well, the vagus nerve is a cranial nerve. It's a tenth cranial nerve, which that connects to our vision, right? There are so many neurologic
1: connections. When you really look at the function of the brain and you'll see a lot of brain research is about vision because vision is represented in in almost every part of the brain. You know, we think about the eyeballs and then the visual cortex. If you put your hand on the back of your head, there's that little kind of ridge or bump. That's the cortex. However, there's visual connections to the temporal, the parietal, the frontal, the midbrain. So if somebody is involved, for example, in a car accident and they get like a whiplash or straight neck, almost always have vision problems.
0: Hmm.
1: The insurance company says, did they injure their eyes? No. Well, then there must not be a visual problem is a response. Well, in right near, in the brainstem in that area is where the connections for convergence and eye movements. And so if there's any kind of impact in the brain, you're going to have some type of a visual component. And so that's how I started getting involved, working with concussion and brain injury patients in that, you know, I I used to be mainly pediatrics. I love the kids, but those kids would send in their grandparents who had a stroke or their aunts or uncles who were in car accidents. And they'd say, you know, my aunt reads just as bad as I do. She loses her place and needs her finger can to keep her place. Can you help her? And that's how we started working with concussion. And it's really my background in pediatrics helped me immensely work with the adults with vision problems from some type of significant neurologic problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's that is when I think about even head injury, right? Like I know we see head injuries, concussions, they can be similar on a brain scan to emotional trauma and the way that they show up. And so I'd even be interested to know how visual, this visualization, the strategies that you use are helpful for emotional trauma.
1: Well, I'm very careful to make sure that I connect with, connect my patient with either a counselor or social worker, somebody, Mm -hmm. because my job's not to dig deep into really... As you know trauma is a very complex for uh, sure <laughs> issue. however often when we've worked with patients with trauma um, the neuropsychologist says hey the vis- the visual memory scores have gone out how, how did you do that? How did they get better and we use a lot of visualization how to create pictures of memories and and one of the things that I work with all patients is just breathing, and going to a safe place and relaxing. I've seen kids with crossed eyes open their eyes up a little bit more. I see patients that start in anxiety uh, situations that all I'll just have them do is breathe. I don't wanna know what's happening. I don't wanna talk to them right now, just breathe. I'll give you a short story how it applies to real life. I went with a friend to Cancun and she wanted to walk up some of the big rooms uh, and there were a lot of really steep steps and I said, let's go. And she says, I'm really afraid of heights. I said, well, I'll help you if you'd like. And she said, what are you going to do? I said, just get on the first step. And she's kind of hands and knees going up the steps. <laughs> I'm in front of her. And I'd say, just look. So I would fixate, breathe, take a step, look, fixate, breathe. And I walked up kind of backwards as she'd watch me. She got all the way to the top, no problem. She was joyous, like, oh, my gosh, until she turned around and then she looked down and freaked out and grabs the rope, gets on her back because I'm not getting down. I said, we can do this. So she turned over on her stomach. Finally, there was a rope there to hold. I did the same thing. Fixate, breathe. Otherwise, you can see somebody so often in an anxiety states, so their eyes are darting all around. They can't mm-hmm. look at you. They can't think my picture is that's what's going on in the brain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Picture, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if we can get them to breathe and focus on their breath, focus on me, whatever, focus on their hand, where their hand is. And she got all the way down the mountain and she was so excited She said, I've got to run in and call my family. They will never believe I did this. So she runs back to the condo. And I'm thinking, hey, this is really cool, hot stuff, you know. She runs in the condo and I overhear a conversation. Oh, my gosh, you can't believe what I just did with the help of this older woman. (laughs) Ruined my whole story. What's the older woman part of this? (laughs) Not how I saw myself. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, but that's where... I use it for medical tests. If a patient's getting freaked out because we're going to come close to their eyes, stop, breathe, relax, look at me, boom, we do the test. Hmm. So it is so valuable. Those little steps of breathing and just fixating can get you through such sticky uh, situations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, my practice in yoga. I've been practicing yoga for about six years now. And I think that a big part of why it's been so powerful for me is it's given me a chance. You know, we have that, I think it's called drishti. It's the gaze. It's the focus gaze where you're looking straight ahead and you're breathing. And you're holding still and that's something that never am i am not a hold still person i am not a slow down and breathe person i am a do 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 go 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 person (laughs) and so that's been really powerful for me to keep my brain calm during times where i'm like oh you know we start doing the little freak out here and there and so i think that's powerful okay so tell me more about the visualization strategies and and how they have helped people that you work with
1: well since you brought up yoga (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, always bringing up something
1: else. <laughs> yoga has been a, a big part of my practice since 2000. Of calming, relaxing, lots of reasons. But I'll give you an example how we used the yoga concept. With it was actually my daughter, who was taking her um, her boards. She's a dietitian. And she was taking her boards and she was freaking out. Like, how am I going to remember this? We all do this when we have our big final tests and things like that. So again, I couldn't talk her into being okay by any means. So we started breathing and I said, do you want some help? First, I had to ask permission. Do you want some help kind of getting ready for your test? I'm not going to quiz you on, on your academic part of it. And she said, yes. And so I said, let's just get started and we started breathing and I said now allow yourself just to go somewhere where you're really safe you're comfortable but you're really safe where would that be her response was the yoga mat hmm. okay now some people might say outdoors near the mountains or near a lake or in their bed wherever it doesn't make any difference and I said all right let's just go there and just breathe what do you look like well I'm wearing my best yoga my best yoga clothes. I said, okay, now go ahead and, and imagine yourself in a yoga class, you know, go ahead and assume one of your postures and breathe. They always say breathe into it just as you're ready uh-huh, to give up. Uh-huh. And then when you're ready, go to the next posture and breathe into it and imagine yourself. So she's visualizing, not only visualizing in her mind, her whole body's in the yoga posture. You can see her muscles moving into the posture as well. And then I said, so, and we went through this for a while. I said, so what if you pretend that your task that you're going to take is like going to yoga class? You get there, you sit down, you breathe. Posture number one, you get into the posture, you breathe. What if you don't know it? You breathe. Well, time to go to question number two, just like you would do yoga. And so she ended up going for the test in her favorite yoga outfit, (laughs) her best clothes. And that's what she did. She took yoga class through the test and did great. And I knew she would do great if, and we know so often people will perform great if they can manage their emotions. And that's probably in sports therapy, one of the biggest problems athletes have. You know, when we walked our marathon, we saw a paper that says the good news is 50% of your success at a marathon is mental. The bad news is 50% of the marathon is mental. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how you can utilize visualization into an everyday activity at any age from a little
0: kid to an adult. I love that. That is so powerful. And I, I might—I have a test coming up myself. I might have to use the the yoga mat as an example and see how that works.
1: <laughs> you know, whatever works for you. There's all of the stories in my book, which I which I'm sharing for you. It sounds like I'm creative in, in writing, not at all. These are my patients who have taught me what's worked for them, and if you listen, that's where all the information is. And and so there's just wonderful information for musicians or for little kids, uh, or going to the doctor or having knee surgery Mm -hmm. of just how to get yourself in a place where you have your power back just to be Mm -hmm. and then to breathe.
0: Yeah. That's, that's huge. So do you have any other examples of how this has worked with, um, with patients, with children, anywhere from children to teens to what are some other stories you have? Because I I love hearing the stories. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you about, uh, this was an LPGA golfer.
1: She came out of college. They expected her to be right on the top of the LPGA winner's list. And she, she didn't, she was just having injuries and not finishing. Her name is Val Skinner. She's also featured in my book. And Val was referred to a friend of mine in Wyoming, who's an optometrist. And Val actually had a physical visual problem. She had what's called over-convergence, where an extreme over-convergence is like a crossed eye. She didn't have the crossed eye, but she had the tendency that they'd want to over-converge. So she spent all day long trying to keep her eyes straight. So Val was probably one of the most... Um, beautiful visualizers I've ever met. She taught me a lot about visualization. She could imagine hitting the golf ball and seeing every blade of grass go down in slow motion or coming up. She could see if she hit it to the right or hit it to the left. The problem Val had was because of her physical visual problem, when she looked at where the cup was, she misjudged the distance because of her eyes giving incorrect information. And she'd say, it's garbage in, garbage out. If I think that cup is... 10 inches closer than it is, I'm gonna create a whole visualization around wrong information and then get the result of not getting it in the cup. And it's exactly what was going on. So first she worked on the the visual physical part of working on the convergence and really working on the depth perception. And then she automatically made the adjustment in her mind because she was already a wonderful visualizer if she got appropriate information in. Well, great end of the story. She ended up being in the top 10 money list for quite a few years. Uh, she won the American Optometric Association Award for sports person who's really giving back to community because she's so um, interested and wanted professional athletes, as well as you know just kids and young adults to know how important vision was in sports. Mm -hmm. And so we learned about the visualization from her, but again, the simple visual physical part really played a role in how it messed up her visualization. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just one or the other. It's, it can be both. It could be either and, or Mm -hmm. my experience, I get a lot of kids referred from psychologists Mm -hmm. because often parents will take their kiddos to psychologists saying, I know he's smart. Why is he struggling? He can't do his work. All those things. So they do a whole IQ, a psychoeducational evaluation, and many psychologists understand when they see these red flags in some of the tests on some of the subscores that they probably have some vision problems or some auditory or some sensory kinds of things. And so I've been working with a psychologist for over thirty years. And most of the kids she sends me are gifted. She has identified them as being gifted with vision problems. And some have been identified, some because of their vision problems, it's kept them from doing work and being identified. Hmm. Many of them have changed their IQs after therapy, which vision therapy, which you're not supposed oh. to be able to do. Right. But, you know, if you can't track well and you have poor eye-hand coordination, then the tests in the IQ part that really require time, t- uh, tracking, and accurate mm-hmm. uh, eye hand coordination are going to be impacted. Hmm. If you give them better skills, they can take the tests better. There's a chance they could raise their IQ. I can't promise that. Uh, we were in the midst of a study actually looking at, we had a group of patients that really had significant changes in IQ. We're getting ready to give it to a grad student for the stats and the psychological group changed the IQ whisk from the four to the five. And nobody was interested in whisk four data anymore. Oh, so the uh, study got lost uh, due to the technology change, but they're talking about doing the study again with the whisk five.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is incredible to that. It, that it impacts when you're having but it makes sense if you're having tracking problems like you said and that's going to impact the focus and your ability to even take some of these difficult tests and wow that's that's great okay so tell me where can people find your books and um learn more about you and your work great um the best place to find me is on my website lynn
1: hellerstein L Y N N H E L L E R tein.com And uh, there's a lot of samples of the books there's videos, there's checklists. there's a big resource page where I try to keep some of the active literature often outside of optometry that psychologists and educators and sports teams are doing. So I have lists of uh, those on my resource page as well.
0: Awesome. Now, the question that I always love to ask people at the end of the show, the name of the show is Sparking Wholeness. So, if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? I love that name and the question.
1: I think that what I would tell people is that vision does not define them, they define their own vision. And to expand their vision, see beyond what's there to gain clarity, courage, and confidence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We could go so much longer. I could have so many more questions for you so i'm just going to encourage everybody to follow um on i know there, there are social media all of that would be available on the website linhellerstein.com so thank you again for taking the time to reschedule this call number one because we i had a power outage so the first one got messed up but thank you for taking the time just to share your information and your knowledge it has been my pleasure thanks so much erin